Well, thanks so much to Dean and to our singers for leading us so helpfully in our worship and praise of the Lord today. Well, today for one last time, we're going to be spending time in God's Word, getting to know David, of whom the Lord said he was a man after his own heart. David had a heart for the Lord, that is to say, he shared the Lord's outlook. And today we're going to look at the final words recorded in Scripture that David speaks. Indeed, we're going to look at the very end of his life, how this man dies. And that's a natural time to look back, isn't it? When somebody great dies, in the media, lots of people pay tribute. Lots of people analyze their lives, and it's very much a case of looking back. We know that from last September when our queen died, and there was so much time spent looking back over her long life and reign. And that's what we could do today. We could take some time on this final sermon in this series to look back over David's life, all of those moments that we have considered, the highs and the lows of his life and reign. We could recap on some of the lessons that we have learned along the way as we have considered the life of David, but we're not going to do that today. Instead, we are going to look forward, because all the way through this series on the life of David, we have kept an eye on what lay ahead. We know that our ultimate focus has been on a much greater king who would descend from David. Indeed, last week when he was preaching here, Rogerio brought that to our minds as he was speaking from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul talks about Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David. So, did you get to see that David is a big deal in Scripture and that David is closely related to Jesus and his life and ministry here in the world? We know that this is a small part of what is a much bigger and greater story. That story of the one who God would send to be our ultimate king and savior. And so here, God willing, is what's going to happen today. We're going to talk a bit about David and a lot about Jesus. So turn with me again, please, to 1 Kings chapter 2, where today, for one final time, looking at this man's life, we meet with David, the dying man. And by the way, in addition to what we read about the end of David's life here in this passage, there is actually a fuller account of the closing years and days of David's reign found in the parallel account that appears in Scripture in the book of First Chronicles. And you can read about these events in greater detail in chapters 28 and 29 of that book. But while today we have this heading up on the screen and we're thinking about the end of David's life, there is actually a much more important subheading to our sermon today. Because really today, we are thinking about Jesus 
who we are describing as a great and better king. And here in 1 Kings chapter 2, we get to hear David's final words. And what's really important is to recognize who he is saying this to. Who is David speaking to in this chapter? We'll look at verse 1, and it explains that when the time drew near for David to die, to die he gave a, a charge to Solomon, his son. So, actually, what's going on here in this chapter is a very natural thing. It's something that happens in families right the way across this congregation and this community. If you think about it in this way, if you knew that it was nearly your time to die, you'd have things that you would want to put in order. You would have important things to say and put right. And who would you say those things to? Well, it stands to reason that you would say all of this to the people that you're closest to. And if you think back to last time, and it's actually been a few weeks since we last considered the life of David, but last time we thought about his son Solomon, who was the son that David was pleased to call a son. And much more crucially, he was the son that the Lord had chosen and anointed to be David's successor as king. So, what does David say to this son? And what can we learn from these words? Well, a few things to think about. First of all, we hear from David in this conversation with Solomon. We hear a call for faithfulness. This is what he instructs his son in verses 2 and 3. Look at these verses again. Be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in His ways, and keep His decrees and commands, His laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. And in fact, in the newer edition of the NIV, what is stated there as walk in His ways is translated as walk in obedience to Him. So, in these words, these final words that David speaks to Solomon, we really get to see and hear the heart that this man David has for the Lord. At this stage, we believe that he was 70 years old. We know for a fact that he had reigned over Israel for 40 years, and along the way, he had learned a lot from his own experience that faithfulness and obedience to God was the key to effective reigning. It was the key to being an effective king over God's people. But you know what? It's not only kings and rulers who are called to show this kind of faithfulness and obedience. All people are called to this kind of faithfulness and obedience. So, what does it look like to walk in the Lord's way, to walk in obedience to Him? Well, look again at what David says to Solomon in verse 3. He gets into the specifics of this. Keep his decrees, that's God's decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. 
What he's really saying is, do what God tells you to do in his word. And when you think about it like that, that's actually really simple. Do what God asks you to do, what he tells you to do in his word. It's simple, but it's very challenging. So let me lay out that challenge to you this afternoon. Are you seeking to walk in the Lord's ways? Does obeying God matter to you in your life? For some people here today, it could well be the case that obedience to God doesn't even register in the way you go about your daily life, and it should. And if you take this seriously, if, like David, you have been blessed with a heart for God, are you then spending time in His Word to know what it is that He requires? How do we know what pleases the Lord? How do we know what it involves to walk in His ways? By spending time in His Word, immersing ourselves in it day by day in a faithful way. But you know, given the time that we have spent looking at David and all of the parts of David's life that we have been thinking about over these months, we know that there is a truth today that just can't be ignored. And that is that what David is telling Solomon to do was not always the case with him in his life. We know of those times in David's life when he did not walk in the ways of his Lord. We know especially, and we spent quite a bit of time thinking about that notable moment in David's life, all that stuff with Bathsheba and Uriah, when he completely failed to walk in the Lord's ways, to walk in obedience to Him. And so, we can't think about faithfulness in relation to David's life without considering the Lord's incredible faithfulness to Him. In fact, it's a faithfulness that David recognizes when he has this conversation with Solomon because he mentions the great promise that the Lord had made to him. Look again at, at verse 4. And he says, If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Well, think for a moment about that promise. How amazing is that? That given all that we have discovered about David and his dysfunctional family, that the Lord would continue with them. That he would fulfill his promises and his purposes through a family like that. That's grace. And as we think of God's faithfulness, it prompts us then to think about His Son, that great and better King. David was concerned about faithfulness and obedience to God, but the reality is he didn't always live it out. And we know that to be our story as well. But by contrast, Jesus, the great and better king, lived a life 
of perfect obedience to his Father. In fact, that's what he was all about when he came into this world, so that he testifies about himself in John chapter 6, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And because he lived this life of perfect obedience, he alone can be a worthy sacrifice for our sins. And that's why Jesus alone can bring us into a right relationship with God. Because even if we have a heart for God in the way that David did, we still get it wrong. And we do not always walk in the ways of the Lord. If we're being really honest, we know that only too well. But we can turn to a perfectly obedient king and Savior. So that Paul, in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, puts it like this. He says, for as by the one man's disobedience, and there he's talking about Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, and there he's referring to King Jesus, the many will be made righteous. We hear David's call for faithfulness. But then, in these words to Solomon, we also hear David's call for justice. And some people may be troubled by some of the words that David speaks to Solomon alongside the words that we have just considered. Because at first glance, they appear to be a call for revenge. If you look at the passage, he brings two people to Solomon's attention. First of all, in verse 5, he talks about Joab. And Joab had been David's great military commander, but he had then betrayed David and supported Adonijah in his rebellion. Not only that, Joab had killed two fellow commanders in cold blood in order to maintain his own position. That was the kind of guy that Joab was. And then down in verse 8, David makes reference to another man, Shimei, who had cursed David. And the instruction to Solomon about both men is absolutely clear. It's similar in both verses, but if we look at it in verse 6 in relation to Joab, do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Sounds like a bit of a gangster movie or something like that. And the message is clear. Solomon, don't let him die a peaceful death as an old man. Take his life. Now, what's that all about? Is David just settling a few scores before he goes? Well, ultimately, we must understand this as a call for justice. Because both men had acted against the Lord's anointed king. They had acted against the one who God had purposed to use to bring about his big plan. And indeed, Shimei had broken God's law as it stated in Exodus 22 verse 8. He had cursed a king who had been anointed by the Lord. But here's the problem. While both of these men had acted against God's will, 
while both of them were deserving of God's punishment, we know that David's call for justice was tainted by sin. That feelings of personal revenge were inevitably tied up in this, given David's sinful heart. And indeed, the same is true of us. Think about our lives. We often call for justice. We often call for God to act against His enemies, especially those who are impacting on the church of the Lord. Lord, act against them. Lord, don't let them get away with it. But we are sinful people. And that means that our desire for justice is never entirely pure. Our own desires for personal revenge get mixed up in that because somehow we feel a sense of hurt, we feel aggrieved, we feel that our pride has been knocked, and that is inevitably in the mix as we say, God, do something about those people. And yet then think about the Lord Jesus, the great and better King. Because when His enemies put Him on the cross, He prayed to His Father in Luke 23, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And when we call for God to be just, when we ask God to punish wrongdoing, we need to be careful what we are asking for. Because we too, as sinful people, are deserving of His just punishment. And it was while Jesus was taking that punishment on Himself that He prayed that prayer in Luke 23. And this is why Jesus alone can bring us into a right relationship with God. Because God's Son, the great and better King, took the punishment that you and I deserve so that God's justice is satisfied through His sacrifice. That's why we need to turn to and be saved by this great and better King. But one last thing that we hear from David in this passage and in this conversation with Solomon, and that is David's call for compassion. Because in these final words, there are, there are also men that David speaks kindly of. Look at his instruction in verse 7. He says to Solomon, but show kindness to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And we meet this man, Barzillai, in 2 Samuel chapter 19. And there we discover that he showed kindness and support to the king at a time when David was losing lots of support. And he did this expecting nothing in return from the king. So that later, remembering this man who had since died, David now wanted to show kindness to Barzillai's family. And when you hear what he says, you realize that this is amazing kindness, that these people should be welcomed to the king's table. What an invitation they're given. 
And we know that David is a forerunner who lets us see who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. That he demonstrates the compassion that Jesus, the great and better king, would show perfectly. Because think about Jesus' ministry. It was characterized by compassion. For example, Mark's gospel, Mark 6, verse 34. Jesus has been out on the boat. The crowds are coming to meet with him. And we're told that when Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And just think about the compassion that Jesus had for sinful people like you and me. We deserve God's punishment as we have established. But instead, for those who trust in Jesus, the great and better King, we are brought into the Father's presence. We are treated like and considered as being His sons. We're invited to join at His table. So, is this true of you? And if it is, does this amaze you? And does it lead to a greater love for the one who first loved you? And so, David's life comes to an end. He's regarded as being the best king that Israel ever had. And the thing about really good kings and queens, as we know only too well from our recent history, is that because they're so good, because they're so influential, we imagine that they'll just keep going on forever and ever, and they'll always reign, but they don't. And David himself understood that his reign was not everlasting. That's the exact reason why he brings Solomon along and has this conversation with him. Look at how he begins it in verse 2. He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. It's a pretty euphemistic way of describing what's about to happen. But it's a humbling reminder that death is common to us all, that it is part and parcel of life in this fallen world, that there is no escaping it. And that was the case with David. Verse 10, then David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And you know, this is pretty humbling, that no matter who we are, no matter what our title is, no matter what we have achieved in life, no matter how good and respected we might be, we die. And I remember the finality of that during the Queen's funeral, the part in the chapel at Windsor when the, the symbols of her reign, do you remember that? The orb and the scepter and the crown were removed from her coffin just before her body was interred. That was such a powerful symbol of what we're hearing today. And maybe you're thinking, Philip, as we get towards the end, keep it light. But we should consider these things. David was a great king whose life came to an end. But Jesus, the great and better king, 
will reign forever. His is an eternal kingdom, and He is the powerful King who could beat death itself. The grave could not contain Him because Peter says of Jesus in Acts 2.24, preaching on the day of Pentecost, he says of Jesus, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Him. And really, just think about that for a second. Really seek to understand that, that the thing in life that we fear the most could not keep hold of our King Jesus. And because He led the way for His people, those who belong to Him will share in His eternal reign, receiving the new life that He brings. And David, the man who had a heart for God, he understood this. Because when Peter preached to the crowd on that day of Pentecost, straight after speaking these words about the Lord Jesus, he then quotes King David and his words in Psalm 16, words of a man who really trusted the Lord. And in Psalm 16, David said, I saw the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life you will fill me with joy in your presence. People, David, the good king, points us to a great and better king, to Jesus, and to the kind of life that is found in him, and to the kind of trust that we should have in him. And that's why this series on the life of David is not actually finishing with David. It's finishing with Jesus, who is the great and better king. And is he the king of your life? Will you bow before him today and make him king of every part of your present and your future. We sing of